when a young man wants to get something to eat, all of a sudden the police state steps on his neck. What a shame. And then we travel to Mexico to take a look at the story of a young boy who was working at a construction site. <laughs> it's 11-year-old kids working at a construction site. And he accidentally makes a big mess of things. After he is quickly and severely punished, he runs to the safety of a shack on the edge of the construction site. And there he comes face to face with something that defies explanation. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys have some awesome plans for the weekend. We got a ton of stuff to cover. So let's go ahead and get started right away. First off, walking into Dead Rabbit Command is one of my original listeners, one of the original 14 people who were listening to this podcast back in 2018, and a close personal friend of mine. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for Veronica. Woo, yeah, come on in, Veronica. Walk on into Dead Rabbit Command. Veronica's moving away. Veronica's moving away last week. We've had a great friendship over the past six years. And she was one of the original listeners of Dead Rabbit Radio, a longtime supporter of the show, a longtime supporter of me, and she's moving away. She's moving away, so I wanted to go ahead and put her in the pilot seat this time. I'll still talk to her, you know, we'll still chat and stuff like that. But it definitely sucks when one of your friends moves away, but she is on to much bigger and much better things. She's going to have such an adventure into where she's going. So Veronica, thank you so much for being such a great friend and for all the years of our friendship going forward. Also, let's take a look at this fan art from Paul Yiana. Paul, thank you so much for this. This is like a military Air Force type badge for Dead Rabbit Radio. I love it very much. I love getting all of the fan art you guys send me. It's fantastic. So for Fan Art Friday, Paul, really, really appreciate it. We do have a lot of stuff to cover. So Veronica, let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the Jason Jalopy. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed all the way out to Joaquin, Texas. On Monday's episode, you're like, Jason, please, please, don't bring that, please don't bring that back up, please. I promise I'm going to shut the podcast off. On Monday's episode, we covered a guy who killed a cat in an Arby's restaurant and then left. That's kind of the polite thing to do, right? You don't stick around. You've outlasted your welcome. He was an ex-employee of this Arby's restaurant. He got fired for setting fires throughout the restaurant. Multiple fires over the period of time. They must have really needed an employee. They didn't fire him the first time he set a fire. He then went back a couple months later and eviscerated a cat in the bathroom of an Arby's. And I remember saying in that episode, I go like, at what point did this guy decide to do that? Did he always like chopping up cats? Or was it a one-off thing? I don't know. I, I We never came to a conclusion. Who knew that you couldn't solve the secrets of the human mind over the course of a half-hour podcast? And that's where this story leads us as well. But this one has an interesting spin on it. This really has an interesting spin on it because fault this guy for whatever disgusting things you want. This guy is a monster. He will, He's kind of polite. He's kind of polite. <laughs> just, a little, just a little bit. In Joaquin, Texas, this is back in October 2018, a young 23-year-old man named Alexander Nathan Barter posts a request 
on the deep web, on some hidden site somewhere out in the deep web or dark web, whatever they're calling it nowadays. And he asked in the most polite way, because I'm telling you right now, I feel like I'm kind of this guy's defense lawyer, even though he's already been sentenced. There's a lot of criminals out there who would not do this. He asked for permission. He asked for permission. It's very polite of you, Alexander. Muggers don't do that. Muggers don't wait to see a guy walking around. He has pockets full of money. He has money in each hand. And he just bought a coffee and he can't carry it. He's like, oh man, I wish someone would mug me. There's a guy, a guy pulls down a ski mask. He goes, now it's my time to shine. Most criminals, by definition, are predators. Well, he posted on the dark web, quote, I'd like to try necrophilia and cannibalism and see how it feels to take a life. If you'd be willing, if you'd be willing to let me kill you, or in the U.S., preferably in the South, and can travel by car. This guy's. This guy must be so poor, he wants to murder people, but he can't afford gas money. If you live in the South of the United States and can travel by car, contact me. And I imagine there was like some guy in Pittsburgh being like, oh, finally, I found my soulmate. I've always wanted to be killed and eaten. And then he reads the rest of the sentence. He's like, aw, a little teardrop. A little teardrop of pure barbecue sauce. I was born to be eaten. So he posts this online, and the feds see it. The feds see it. Listen, man, there are law enforcement agents on every corner of the internet. I'm surprised people still do this. I know criminals keep, like, changing the game. Like, they'll move to Telegram. I think now the big thing is a lot of them are on Kick on this messaging app, Kick. But what'll happen is then the feds swarm that, and then someone discovers another way to communicate or invents one, and the criminals go to that, and then the feds jump on that one. It's just like this chase. This guy's way behind the times. This Alexander dude, he's living in the 2010s, man. Posting this on the dark web, the feds find him. So they begin chatting him up. And they're like, I am from the South, and I'm so yummy. Whenever mosquitoes bite me, they always sit there and they rub their little tummy. I'm so yummy, you should eat me. And he's getting these responses. One of the things that a Fed actually said, and they were talking about how yummy they were. The head of the FBI is like, get out of the way, get out of the way. I'm the yummiest of all of us. I'll talk to him. One of these federal agents says, this is weird too, because that, that's what he's saying. I'd like to try necrophilia and... Okay, that's weird, right? His statement's weird. He wants to try necrophilia and cannibalism. But then, like, he wants it to be a willing participant. What happens is an undercover federal agent contacts him and says, well, I got a treat for you. I don't want to be eaten, but my 13-year-old daughter, maybe she does. I'm not going to ask her. I'm not going to ask her, but tell you what. Why don't we meet up at this hotel? You can kill and eat my 13-year-old daughter. And Alexander says, yes. He says, yes. To eating this kid. So remember how I said he was polite in the beginning? You're not polite now because she wasn't in on it. Apparently they came up with this whole backstory where it's like, you bring your daughter out to walking Texas. We will tell her we're going on a hiking trip together, but instead you'll take her to this hotel. Well, I'll kill her and eat her. So anyways, and then, you know, because this is what the police do. They say, we want you to bring these four items. We want you to bring like a knife. Some hot mustard packets from McDonald's, a camera, like they'll give them specific things to bring so that way when they arrest this guy, they can show intent. If he just showed up 
he could say, well, no, I didn't actually want to eat the person. I just wanted to see who would be so sick to offer their 13-year-old daughter for someone else to eat. If he showed up with a bib and some hand wipes, he's obviously going to eat somebody, right? So they did that, and what happened was Alexander, he gets ready for this. This is on October 19th. He steps outside of his house, and there's a bunch of cops outside, and they arrest him. And he's found guilty of this. He's found guilty of all these crimes. He gets 40 years in prison. So this guy's 23 years old. If you don't know, if you don't know how to do math, he cannot get out of prison until he's 63. That's insane. Again, what he was planning on doing was insane. And I'm not saying that that's not a just sentence, but I just can't imagine being 23 years old and making a mistake that impactful. I shouldn't say mistake. This guy didn't want to eat a human body. It's not just, it's not like, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. It's a criminal act. What I thought was interesting, I don't know if this is a common police tactic, I don't hunt cannibals professionally, but the police officer said, my daughter's 13 years old. So because of that, and I guess they said bring a camera, he got hit with like attempted child pornography manufacturing or something like that. And which is it super interesting because he never, as far as we can tell, the information that's been released in the media, he never specified he wanted it to be a kid. He was looking for like a willing victim. And the police said, oh, no, my 13 year old daughter's going to be there. Bring a camera. And they threw on another, like, that's a huge charge. That charge alone is like five, ten years, right? So, yeah, just weird. I mean, I, I guess that's a crime-fighting technique, right? You make it so gross to the jury. After they get done vomiting, they go guilty. That guy's obviously a sicko. Now, I'm not defending him. I, I've actually done several versions of this story. The first 20 minutes was me editing out to make sure it's clear. I'm not defending the guy. I just find it super weird on that legal level. I'm just fascinated by the whole story. And again, like, how did Alexander even get to this point in his life where when he's 23 years old, he decides to throw it all away? All of it. For this weird fantasy. And what's so interesting to me, like, did his brain break? Was he always mentally sick? Did he start watching some really, really horrible stuff online? And he goes, oh, this is good. It's sending endorphins to his brain. He's constantly looking for the next big thrill. Like, how did he get to this point? And what I find so fascinating about this, for all he knows, humans taste super gross. Like, he put it all on the line. Imagine if McDonald's came out with a new hamburger tomorrow called the Forbidden Burger. And the only way that you could get the Forbidden Burger is to dip your hands into hot grease to pull it out yourself. But it's supposedly the best tasting burger on the planet. And if you want, you could have sex with it before you eat it. Would you eat it? Would you eat it? Now, I'm assuming if you would. I'm assuming if you would, you would not admit it. You're not going to go on my YouTube channel and be like, I'd order too. But that's the equivalent of this. You don't even know if it is the best burger ever made. But he wanted to eat a person. And now he's in prison for 40 years. Which, I mean, for the most part, is the rest of his life, right? He'll get out when he's 63 and he'll be completely flabbergasted. He'll <laughs> be like, oh man, I worked up such an appetite in prison. You start walking down the street and you go to a retirement home. Nom, 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 nom. They can't get away from you if they're too old. Weird, totally weird story. Was he always this crazy or what? Who knows? Veronica. Veronica's like, I didn't even want to be in this show. I didn't want to be in this episode. And I'm moving away, you freak. Veronica, you can't leave yet. 
Veronica, let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. We're headed all the way out to Mexico. I found a story posted online fairly recently, maybe in the past two weeks, by someone who goes by the name Bushido Brown. Really, really interesting story, and it's one that just makes us ask, huh? We're headed back to the late 1970s, and we're going to a state in Mexico known as Guerrero. And this region is a particularly rugged region of Mexico. Apparently, like I was trying looking at the map and reading a little bit about this region, I think it's also where Acapulco may be, the tourist resort. But a lot of it is rugged mountainous terrain, and it's primarily populated by the indigenous people of Mexico. And back in the 1970s, we have a young boy. He grew up in this region. He never really left this area. He's between the ages of 9 and 11. He's just a young boy. And and we don't have a name for him. We're going to call him Billy. So Billy was working at a construction site. (laughs) I hope he was closer to 11 than 9. But he was working at a construction site with his father. And they were currently putting up the walls of a large ranch. And Billy goes out to the shed on the edge of the construction site and he's mixing cement. And then he has to load it up on a wheelbarrow and roll it. What's the verb for using a wheelbarrow? Push. He had to to use a wheelbarrow to get the cement from one end of the construction site over to where his father and all the other workers were. And as he's getting close to them, he's like, look, I'm a big boy. I'm nine years old. I can carry 50 pounds of cement in a wheelbarrow. Well, apparently he shouldn't have been bragging. He should have been paying attention to where he was going because right when he gets up to where the workers are, he spills it. Which I imagine cleaning up cement is quite difficult. You're like, hurry up, boys. Otherwise, we're just going to have this giant lump in the middle of this ranch. Well, the jokes end because his dad is a real piece of work, right? Billy's dad is just a piece of trash. And when this little boy who has no business at a construction site to begin with Makes a little boy mistake, his dad hits him. His dad straight up punches Billy and starts screaming at him, calling him a worthless piece of garbage. Get out of here. Get out of here before you mess something else up. So little Billy runs away. Because what else are you going to do, right? You can't take on your pops. I mean, you wish you could. Right, but he's just not strong enough. Well, Billy runs away, and he runs back to that little shed he was previously at that's sitting on the far end of the construction site. He runs, and he shuts the door, and he is sobbing. He's sobbing because he's in pain. He's sobbing because he's afraid and and all that stuff. Just horrible situation. And in this little shed, the shed is basically like a 12 by 12 shed. It's a fairly small shed. And there's like a bench in there where you can kind of sit down and then you basically just look at the wall across from you it's full of nails and cement and all these other supplies and stuff like that and billy's in the shed and he's crying and he's bored right you're crying but that doesn't mean that's super exciting he's looking down on the ground and he sees a car magazine he picks it up he starts going through it his teardrops are ruining the page he's like oh i really wanted to cut that out and put it in my dream journal now it's ruined oh just like the cement oh why did i remember the cement he's looking through this car magazine and all of a sudden something is off he feels something is different it's not like an electrical discharge there's no noise there's no overwhelming sense of fear just something's 
not right. Billy turns to his right. Something draws his attention. He looks to his right. Now, his back, he's sitting on that bench, so his back is to one of the walls of this shed. And when he looks to his right, on the wall, right next to him, maybe six inches from his shoulder, he sees a giant purple hole. He's kind of staring at it. Now, he had just been in the shed earlier this day, getting the cement. And then he ran in the shed when he was crying. He didn't see anything like this. He sees this purple hole on the side of the wall. He said, the way he described it to his stepson, Bushido Brown, he goes, imagine if someone took a three-foot-in-diameter purple piece of construction paper and just placed it on the wall. It was just this hole. But it almost was just a solid purple color. It was flat. It was flat against the wall. And then outlining the purple hole was this tube that ran all around the circumference of the purple portal. He said it was this dull yellow tubing that had I thought about it at the time, I probably could have grabbed it. Like it actually came out of the wall. He goes, the purple hole was flat against the wall. There was nothing to grab onto. But as I think about this, because he thinks about it from time to time, he goes, I feel like I could have actually touched the yellow tubing. But he sees this, and this isn't supposed to be right. He's been in here multiple times. He's never seen this before. So he readjusts. He readjusts his body because he wants to look into this. Because right now he's kind of seen it from a profile. And he's kind of turning his body. He's kind of craning his neck to look and see what this is. And as he is craning his neck over to get a better view, he sees a human come out. Now, not all the way. It's just a man's head and shoulders kind of pop out of this hole. As if you were looking out of a window. Just kind of leaning out. It startles him. And he's looking at this guy who's leaning out of this hole. But the guy doesn't notice Billy. This guy who's leaning out of the hole, he's looking at the opposing wall. He's not looking at the bench. He's not looking at Billy. But suddenly, something draws his attention. And he turns and he looks at this young boy. And Billy sees a look of terror wash over this stranger's face. This man from the Purple Portal seems shocked and terrified that Billy is not only there, but that Billy can see him. Billy takes off running, right? Billy's totally freaked out by this. This shouldn't be possible. He takes off running. He runs back to where all the workers were. He says, this man came out of this hole in the shed. And all these dudes, all these construction workers, automatically think, there's a pervert here. Guys, we were hoping to have a lunch, but now we're going to have even more fun hunting down and beating up a pervert. They go back there. They tear the shed apart. They can't find the hole. They can't find anywhere that a person would have come out of. And Billy's like, no, 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 I was in there and this guy popped out. And unfortunately, because again... His dad is a scumbag. His dad abuses Billy again, calls him a liar, and makes him walk the three-mile journey back home. Billy, though, he knew what he had seen. He had seen this guy pop out of this portal. And he knew 
He had only seen people like this on television. He had never seen a human that looked like this person in real life, but he would see people that looked like this on the TV. It was a white person. Billy had never seen a white person. His city was so removed from the metropolitan areas of Mexico. He had never seen a white person in real life. They'd see him on television, right? They're watching Gunsmoke or whatever, watching WKRP in Cincinnati. But he'd never seen a white person in real life until that day. And it would be another 15 years before he ever saw another white person in real life. He said, when I was getting ready to immigrate to the United States, I had to pass through Mexico City and I saw a white woman walking down the street. That was the second time I'd ever seen a white person in real life. The first time, one of them jumped out of a portal in a shed. Now, he described this guy. He described this guy, and he didn't really have... It's so interesting, because what prompted this story was Bushido Brown was sitting at home with his little sister and his stepdad, who is Billy, now as an adult. They're watching Spider-Man No Way Home. And Doctor Strange is constantly making those portals and Ned is constantly making those portals where it's just like this hole opens up in the universe and there's like these yellow fireworks going off around it. And they're watching this and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Bushido's stepdad goes, oh, I saw that before. They're like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, I saw one of those in real life. <laughs> the thing you've seen in the superhero movie? I saw that happen in real life. It wasn't like that, but it was flat like that. It was totally flat and it had this yellow tubing. I can only think they paused the movie at this point and go, okay, what you're about to tell us is going to be way more interesting than this movie. And he says, tells the story. And so Bushido Brown's like, so he was white. What did he look like? And Billy goes, you know, like if I had to like describe him and like, in like the most generic terms, I would say he looked like a California surfer dude. He had like blonde hair, blue eyes, skinny, skinny guy. He's wearing a light blue t-shirt. He's popping out of this portal. It's interesting because... It, it, so Bushido Brown posted this, and then people asked a bunch of questions, and this is always kind of the marker over whether or not this is fake. This is a good indicator whether or not this is a fake story. He does a follow-up post, and it was barely any more detail. Right, because he's talking to a stepdad who's remembering something that happened decades ago. A lot of times the story will get even more involved to be like, oh no, now, now my stepdad remembers him coming out of the portal and giving him a card and saying, go to this address three years from, you know, just made up stuff. The, the, the additional stuff we got was I showed him a picture of Kurt Cobain and said, did he look like this? And my stepdad goes, I, I kind of, I guess. <laughs> like that was a follow-up post. He's like, Bushido Brown was trying to find pictures of surfer dudes online. And he's like, yeah, I, that kind of looks like him. I, I, he's just, he was a white dude with blonde hair and blue eyes. I'd never seen a white guy before in real life. He had a blue t-shirt on. Which to me, it's funny because the clothing to me seems like such a glossed over detail. But it's very, very interesting. If he was wearing a spacesuit or a futuristic suit or an old-timey suit, he was popping out in medieval armor. That fits the lore. We believe people in the future will have access to time travel. We believe that aliens could create these sort of portals, so that would explain like a spacesuit. Or it's a time portal. You have some guy coming through in a medieval armor. Like, that stuff fits the lore. A man in a just a t-shirt 
with so it would be modern day, right? Nineteen seventies people wore T-shirts. It, he didn't look futuristic or in the past. He looked like someone who was contemporary to the nineteen seventies. Him coming through the portal that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense in the lore. If I told you the guy popped through and he had green skin and a, a bubble helmet, we'd be like, oh, is it alien story? It would still be interesting. But the fact that it was a civilian is kind of what I'm getting at, right? It's you or me or Billy or Bushido Brown. It was it was a normal person who popped through this portal. So that makes you think simply of the portal phenomenon. Was there a dude at that exact same time walking along the beach in Santa Cruz and he sees a portal open up and he puts his head through it and then his head pops out through there. You know what I mean? Like it seems contemporary. It doesn't seem like it was some experimental facility. The guy wasn't dressed as a scientist or a military uniform or anything like that. It was two civilians meeting each other with this phenomenon in the middle of it. And one of the things that Bushido Brown was saying too, and again, thanks for this excellent write-up. He goes, listen, my stepdad, he is not into science fiction. He goes, honestly, I don't know if he can comprehend science fiction. He goes, I don't know if my stepdad can think about time travel in the sense that if you go back in time, you can change the timeline and things will play out different. He, he has no interest in science fiction, and I don't know if he really comprehends it from a theoretical point of view. And he asked him, do you think this was a religious thing? And the stepdad goes, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea. He goes, I don't really think it was religious because nothing good happened. Like, nothing good came out. I didn't get beat up afterwards. But there, there was no miracle, so I don't, I don't know what it was. What a fascinating story. It's one of those weird things that just happens, right? We take this story. This story sounds believable. The follow-up post made me go, there is something to this. Because I read BS all the time. Right, researching stuff for the show. It could be totally made up. It could totally be made up. There's a California Raisins ARG starting up right now. And I'm like, really? You're dragging the poor California Raisins into this? Just let them be. But so, like, I see this stuff bubble up. You guys will see the California Raisins stuff pop up pretty quickly, too. But it's dumb. I like the California Raisins. <laughs> I'm not going to California Raisins. I was just like, come on, guys. They're starting this California Raisins ARG, time travel, mystery, whatever. The I'm not going to cover that because it's made up. But this story, to me, sounds believable. I could be wrong, right? I've been wrong on this show before. And that's okay. But assuming this story is real, I find it so fascinating. Because right now, you have the story of a dude who's sitting there watching Spider-Man No Way Home with his kids. He goes, oh, that happened to me. And just tells this story like, with no build-up. He just says it. And there are people, paranormal researchers who would give an arm and a leg. They would literally put their arm and a leg through the portal to experience something like this. That's one of the things I find so interesting about the world of the paranormal. You can try to seek it out, but most of the time it seeks out you. If you want to learn about deep space, you have to go get books on deep space. And then you have to watch videos on deep space. And then you hopefully could get access to a telescope and start doing your own research and make discoveries yourself. And every other form of science is like that. You have to read the research and then do your own research. You're spending time at the laboratory or walking through nature, studying these things. Then you come back and go, here are my findings. That's how science advances. Paranormal does not work like that. 
does not work like that. There are Bigfoot researchers who have always been just two steps behind Bigfoot. Or maybe saw a glance of them once through the woods. And then they're reading stories about people who are like, yeah, I was having this barbecue. And then Bigfoot showed up. He knocked over my barbecue. And so I punched him. And then he ran away. It's so interesting. Now, you could go with Jason. It's because those people are clearly making that stuff up. And sure, some of them are. Some of them are. But we do have a lot of paranormal events that happen to civilians, again, to random people who have no interest. This guy had no interest in sci-fi, in portals, probably not even the supernatural outside of his religion. Like, he was putting it all in a religious perspective. But when he saw it, he goes, oh, that wasn't religious because nothing good happened. But it happened. The world of the paranormal seeks you out, and no one can really explain why that happens. We have theories, like your brain works on a certain frequency, and so you're more apt to see these things. But again, it's so random. It's so random whether or not you have any of these paranormal events happen to you. I think ghosts are the most common. I think ghosts are the one thing that a ghost hunter who knows where to go and knows what they're looking for can encounter things. And then people can just move into a house that's haunted. I think that's the most common paranormal activity. But UFOs, despite what you'll hear from certain hucksters trying to get you to pay money to go to a UFO summoning event, it's a toss-up. There are career pilots who have spent 20 years in the air never seen anything. There's UFO researchers who have spent 50 years researching it and just come across a couple lights in the sky. And then there are people like, yeah, I went home one day and there was a gray alien sitting in my bedroom. I hate, I hate aliens. I think it's dumb. I don't even like science fiction. I don't know why they picked me. The world of the paranormal seeks out people. The question is why? And we haven't even got to the question of who this guy could have been. Like, was he just the guy poking his head through a portal? Who knows? This is one of those stories that you're reading just go... It, other than the portal phenomenon, which we cover a lot on this show, what happened that day? And and the the stepdad, the stepdad's honest. He goes, "Listen, I know that my dad beat me up. That's why I ran into the shed. But that wasn't the first time, and it definitely wasn't the last time my dad beat me up. And I never saw anything like it before or after." He actually addressed that. He goes, "I didn't get hit so hard. I imagined this. I saw it. I did get. I did get hit really hard." But I'd been beaten before and afterwards, and this had only happened this one time. What a mystery. What a fascinating story. A fascinating tale of a truly paranormal event happening to someone who has no interest in the world of the paranormal. I love researching this stuff. I love researching this stuff. And would I have liked to experience that phenomenon? Yeah, it'd be dope, right? It'd be dope, but I know that's not the way this works. I've been at this for so long, I know that's not the way it works. You either experience it, or you don't. That's why I don't mind when people don't believe in this stuff, or totally skeptical. I get it, I totally get it. But what an awesome journey. Whether or not you are the experiencer, or just the person hearing the story, or the person telling the story. What an awesome journey. What a mysterious world we live in. What caused this portal to happen? Who was the other dude? Is he telling his kids the story? Yeah, you won't believe it. One day I was walking along the beach and just suspended in midair was just this purple circle. And I looked in it. Next thing I knew, I was in some shed. I turn and there's a little boy on a bench crying. I don't know what it means. I had never seen anything like it before or since. 
Is that man also telling his version of the story? Or is the answer even weirder than that? Who was this guy? Where did he come from? It's such an obscure mystery. There's only one witness from the late 1970s who just casually mentioned this during a movie. It's such an obscure story, we will never know the answers. But it sure is fun talking about it. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the day. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great